This is Chad Colvin, and today I have the distinct pleasure of speaking with actor Eric Avari. Eric, thank you so much for taking the time to uh, sit down for a few minutes and chat with me. It's my pleasure, Chad. How is life in L.A.? What have you been up to? Uh, it's, uh, it's hot. It's smoky. There are fires. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> That's kind of normal this time of year, isn't it? it, it yes, it's a frequent occurrence, and uh, yeah, so we, we take it in our stride. But um, the allergies start to act up, so uh, if, if I sound stuffy, it's not uh, my personality. It's just <laughs> <laughs> uh, you sound fine. <laughs> has uh, the work situation in L.A., I know uh, with the economy being what it has been, you know, the last several months, you know, that things have been a little bit tighter. There haven't been as many rolls around and, and stuff like that. Are things starting to get better now? or? Well, uh, you know, I, I, I must... Um, confess i i've been i've had a stream of work um which is good uh and what's even better is uh, a lot of it has been um interesting very interesting um interesting scripts and so on and so forth um but you know, you're right about the economy and what has certainly um taken a hit are the um the paychecks right but uh you know there there are fewer Big budget movies, uh, and now those are starting to come come back up again. But I must confess, I did not particularly miss them until it came time to pay the mortgage. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you have to earn a living. You do. Mm. You do. You've been a uh, big part of the Stargate mythology over the years, uh, but you've been acting for decades. For those that aren't familiar with some of your work, could you talk about some of your previous projects, maybe some of the ones that you're most proud of, the ones you've enjoyed the most? Over the years, I mean, you've done a ton of genre work. I remember you even back, you know, mid-'90s. Well, I was growing up then, and I was a huge Star Trek fan back then, and I know you did Deep Space Nine. You know, you did Sequest, a lot of of genre stuff. Yeah, a lot of genre stuff. And, um... Yes, I you know I, I feel like I'm going to be tooting my own horn here, but uh, I've um, done a lot of different genres. Um, you know, st- I started out uh, doing Shakespeare as as a as a child actor, and going to schools and performing um, oh you know eight nine scenes abbrevi- abbreviated versions of uh, the full length plays, and it was essentially to get school kids to take an interest in, in Shakespeare and see that it that he was actually a <clears throat> he wrote to be performed not to be read right and uh, so that that was really my introduction to the industry if you will or the business it's where I caught the bug and uh, beware once you catch it you never lose it mm-hmm. but um, you know I went on from there uh, um, I've been to I've had to start my career on three different continents and two different coasts. So each time it's been sort of a startup um, because a lot of people, you know, when I came to America, didn't care what I had done in India or in, or in, in the UK for that matter. Um, and then when I moved from New York to Los Angeles, uh, there was, uh, in fact, there was a, a little bit of a sense of. Well, he comes from the stage, I don't know, he might be too theatrical for film and TV, and so on and so forth, so you, you've got to just go prove yourself all over again, and, you know, so uh, it, it's been a, a fairly circuitous journey, but, 
You know, I always believe that it's uh, it's not the destination, it's the journey that's really uh, what's Most important. important. And uh, I, I, as far as that's concerned, I certainly can't complain. Yeah. It's been a very, very interesting ride, and I get to do what I love, and uh, for the most part. And, uh, you know, that is a blessing, and I'm, I'm always very, very thankful and grateful for that. Mm-hmm. And it's a ride that shows no signs of slowing down anytime soon. Well, uh, from your lips to God's ears. <laughs> <laughs> is, there, is there something about the sci-fi and fantasy genre that you're drawn to as much as you've done over the years? Yes, and, and it wasn't particularly apparent to me in terms of the depth that sci-fi offers. Um, I remember watching Star Trek, uh, one of my part-time jobs in college, um, and uh, that, that, that was the best job I had through college. Um, mainly it was uh, picking up garbage out of the uh, student union and uh, buffing floors and things like that. But um, at 3 o'clock, I got to sit in the audiovisual room and... Um, hand out headphones to mm-hmm. uh, students who would come in, you know. And uh, once I was done handing out the headphones, I basically got to watch. And uh, what was on at 3 o'clock was Star Trek, back in the day when there were only, you know, five channels on TV. Right. And uh, so I watched Star Trek religiously um, and with, uh, with sort of double pleasure because uh, I was actually getting paid to to do just that. Not a lot, but again, it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. And and I realized, uh, I thought, wow, there's something I could do. I could see myself being cast in something like that. Uh, All the actors seemed to have had a classical theatrical background, and uh, there there was a style to the performances that... uh, I was very familiar with, and uh, so I, I took an interest on that level, you know, on purely a, a very altruistic level. This is like, well, there's something there for me. <laughs> and it wasn't until um, many years later, uh, I was actually uh, going out to do a convention in Vancouver where I was committed to doing a one-man show, which at the time I hadn't written yet. Uh, nothing like a deadline to get you, you know, on your horse and, and um, get the creative juices flowing. Exactly. And it was when I was writing this one-man show about my my journey, basically, how I came to America, how I got into the business and so on, that I started to realize that, in fact, I have always been political, although I never quite identified it as such. Um, I was an English major. Uh, I, I'm very interested in text and character, um, and uh, you know, so so Shakespeare certainly uh, was uh, something that we we studied extensively along along with Chekhov and and all the, the great the great playwrights of the world, mm-hmm. um, and and I found that they all commented on our society or or their society that they they lived in. And this, to me, was particularly interesting because, in essence, you did have to have an eye for politics because that is ultimately what was um, affecting the lives of the people 
that lived in that era. Um, and, and it's really through sci-fi that one is able to comment politically, socially, uh, talk about matters of race, gender, religion, well, not so much religion, but uh, race and gender, certainly, uh, through sci-fi, mm -hmm. because you could remove people from being embroiled too deeply in the minutiae of politics to not to be able to see the, the big picture. Now, some uh, of the best sci-fi, and especially some of the best classic Star Trek, were there were so many allegories, you know, to things that weren't really being able to be discussed on television at the time. Exactly right. And, you know, Star Trek especially used sci-fi and different methods of telling that story in order to get those points across without it being something that the censors or, you know, the powers that be, you know, would be able to uh, stop them from doing. That, and, and they were able to tell it in, in an interesting fashion. Uh, and, and again, sl just far enough removed where you were, one was able to see the, the, the bigger picture. Mm-hmm. And um, and I think that, to me, is the most powerful element of sci-fi. Um, it, it certainly, you know, uh, tickles the imagination. It, uh, and in doing so, it removes some of the, the barriers and social norms that we put on ourselves, uh, and society does. And... It, I think it, it actually, and, and, and I find sci-fi fans are among the most progressive, um, broad-minded. Uh, I, I don't want to use the word liberal, but, but uh, progressive probably is the best word to describe sci-fi fans. And it's always a pleasure to, to meet and talk to uh, fans of sci-fi because uh, you always get a refreshing and interesting perspective on things. Right. Well, actually, we'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, you have the distinction of being one of only two actors, along with Alexis Cruz, uh, who played the same role in both the Stargate feature film and then again reprising that role in SG-1. How did your casting for the role initially come about? You mean on the film? On the film. Well, uh, my agents called and, and uh, sent me out on this uh, project, and they said, look, there's, there, there's, there's really no script and they're not making the script available just yet. So it's essentially improv, and you are a character on, on a remote planet, and you don't speak any English. And I said, well, well that's, that's interesting, and uh, can you give me any further details? And, and so they, they sketched me in very, very briefly and peripherally on, on the, the setup. I went in for the audition, and um, there were there were a lot of people. It, the 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 building was teeming with actors, and I noticed I was by far the youngest by at least twenty years. And I thought, "What the heck am I doing here?" You know. Uh, but anyway, I, I walked in, and uh, they had just finished lunch, so I was the first one up, and. Uh, the guy who was the reader, uh, very often uh, producers will hire someone to read opposite the actor. Uh, in this case, there wasn't anything to read, but he was um, there to basically 
improvise and, and play off of me. And uh, he was finishing his lunch, and he was eating, uh, I believe it was a Kit Kat bar. And uh, <laughs> that candy bar eating scene sort of unfolded right there. And um, both Dean and Roland were just rolling on the floor, mm. and um, they, uh, they offered me the part. And uh, <laughs> one of the things that Dean had said was, uh, you know, that we, we really would love you to be in your 60s or 70s. I said, I'm afraid I can't comply. I was, a, I believe I was uh, under 40 at the time, mm -hmm. and, uh, or just about 40. And uh, so, you know, I, I sat in the makeup chair for several hours every day um, and getting made up to look like what I look like now. <laughs> <laughs> was there anything about the role itself that drew you to it as you learned more about it? Well, it was intriguing. Uh, what, what was uh, fun about it was that it left a lot to the imagination. Um, and as, especially as we, as I got to learn more about the part and the project, and then once we actually started shooting, it, it just kept uh, snowballing. Uh, because originally, uh, the role of Kasuf, I believe, was about one scripted line, maybe two, but no more than that. And um, it was really the response that I got from um, both Dean and um, Roland, the director and producer, that I felt like I was in good hands and that they were truly interested in, in developing the role. So it, it was a lot of fun. Uh, I, I found the whole language thing certainly very, very interesting and challenging and that's something i know that you're noted for too is that you have played over the course of your you know decades on screen and in theaters many different nationalities yes i have i, I think that was uh, more a, a case of uh, opportunity rather than talent because uh, you know uh, as an actor you always say yes uh, until you get the job and then you have to scramble and learn how to do whatever it is they've asked you to do mm -hmm. and um because i look the way i do and and have sort of been able to pass myself off as many different nationalities, um, you know, I, I, I had to develop an ear for dialects and, and uh, really work at it. And so I don't really think of it as a talent so much as um, a lot of hard work. Right. Which, again, you know, uh, I enjoy what I do. So when I say work, you, you've really got to take that with a with pinch of salt. Mm -hmm. Are there any parts of your own personality that you brought to the role of Kasuv? I think there there are parts of your personality that that one brings to every part. Certainly, uh, I wouldn't say I am Kasuv, uh, but certainly there there are a, a, a lot of characteristics that I share with Kasuv. The thing that I sort of really latched on to was his naivete. Uh, he was a man uh, who had been raised on a planet with no contact with anyone else. So the only thing he knew was his small little village and what Ra told him, um, which wasn't necessarily true. But uh, So in essence, he was not a man of the world. And what was interesting was how this naivete can be taken advantage of and manipulated and exploited. 
Um, and uh, I enjoyed that aspect of it. I enjoyed the, the challenge of not presenting myself in a modern light, um, whether it be the way I held myself or cocked my head or certain gestures which would give it away that, you know, I am in fact, uh, back at the, at the time when we shot it, it was the 20th century, that, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, it, so all those things were, were a challenge to me, and, and uh, I really, really relished that aspect of it. Um, then, you know, I, I got to work with, uh, with James and, and Alexis and Millie, and, and uh, we had this really tight bond. Uh, Kurt was uh, a source of uh, just a fountain of knowledge. Um, you know, talk about been there, done that. Kurt Russell at the time had, you know, had, he'd been around the block several times. And um, although this was his first foray into the action adventure uh, genre, and uh, James was making his first foray into um, the the comedic sci-fi element of it, and. and uh, and on the other hand, you had Vivica Linford, who was, this was her last uh, last movie before she passed away. Yeah. And uh, uh, Leon Rippey and Jaiman Hansu, his his first big movie. Um, and, you know, all these people have gone on, French Stewart, and uh, I could go on and on and on, uh, Derek Webster. You know, just this tremendous cast. And we were all thrown in, in very um, intense, Climatic conditions. Uh, it was incredibly hot. The sand was uh, just grueling uh, because the wind would kick up and, and it was like uh, sandpaper against your face. I know when I talked to Alexis last year, he had mentioned that you filmed uh, some of it, I believe, in Arizona? In Yuma. Yuma, Yuma Arizona, mm-hmm. yeah. By that stage, I, I had done a, a war movie, so I thought... And we shot the the movie in Israel. It was called The Beast of War, uh, which is actually a a movie that I am very proud of. Uh, Another uh, very politically charged anti-war film that was originally a play and then went on to become a movie. And um, several circumstances, uh, and I've uh, I've been told it's it's, uh, one of the most underrated war movies of of the, uh, the era. So uh, uh, I do feel very proud of that. But uh, to get back to the the story, uh, we shot that in Israel. We went on a 10-day training camp into the Negev Desert. Uh, We we were on Russian sea rations. And so, you know, I I thought I'd been through the mill and and kind of um, really seen the the rougher side of uh, Hollywood, if you will. Uh, but Stargate had its own particular challenges, and uh, just the, the size of it, the um, to to work with fifteen hundred extras, and they were made to look like even more, you know. So you're, you're dealing with thousands of people, and and uh, this was the, the the scope of the film was so huge that. It was exciting and challenging. Um, uh, you really felt like you were on something very, very special. Mm-hmm. So the movie does come out 
1994, you know, and it does okay at the box office. Not quite blockbuster status. Honestly, in my own personal opinion, I think it may have been just a little bit ahead of its time as far as what it was trying to do. I believe you're right. <clears throat> but four years later, you get a call from Bridge Studios in Vancouver, and uh, you return for the first time uh, to Stargate SG-1. And uh, the first episode we saw you in was uh, season two. It was called Secrets. Um, how did you feel about reprising the role? Some actors choose not to retread the same territories that they've already been. You know, it was interesting. I was shooting The Mummy in, uh, in Morocco when uh, my agents called and said, um, hey, they're, uh, you know, they would, uh, they're doing this TV series of uh, Stargate. It's called SG-1, and uh, would you like to reprise your role? And I said, well, let, let me look into this, um, see what, you know, just how they're tackling it. And I realized, uh, obviously, that, that it was all recast. And, in fact, at the time, I was the first one off the movie that they had asked. So I was a little, <clears throat> a little trepidatious. <clears throat> but I was intrigued by the, the series. I thought they'd, they'd rounded off some corners, uh, like um, Jack O'Neill's character. Um, you know, in the movie... That role would have been unsustainable for a series. Absolutely. And, um, you know, so they... But at the end of the movie, his, his character does heal. Uh, and I think it's one of, one of the wonderful things about the movie is mm -hmm. that a, a lot of the characters, you know, have that arc. It's that personal redemption for exactly. his character. Exactly. Or are liberated and so on and so forth, mm -hmm. you know. Um, and uh, so he was able to now go down this other path um, that was much more, shall we call it, TV-friendly. Um, the, the issue that I had was the language, and they, they had written it, uh, the role in, in English, and it uh, sounded like it had possibilities. And, uh, but I had to bridge this, this hurdle as to how, how do you reconcile the fact that he has learned how to speak English in a matter of three years. Mm -hmm. um, and should we then bother with an accent and so on and so forth? And then speaking to the creators and the writers, uh, they, they, they were of the opinion that, that they were more interested in the content rather than staying true to, you know, the, the, the details of what, when and how he learned English. Right. Um, and once I came to terms with that, then uh, it was removed enough from the movie where I didn't feel like I had to go back and recreate a lot of the stuff, uh, which is very hard to do. Um, and I think that that is one of the reasons why people uh, don't do the series after the movie. Uh, I mean, just to, you know, as I, as I mentioned, uh, I was talking about the, the size and the scope of the film. The thing about the shoot on Stargate was that it was, it was magic. This uh, combination of uh, Dean Devlin and Roland Emmerich. Roland had this, this incredibly clear vision of how he saw this film. And Dean is, uh, you know, he, he's, he's a genius at telling story and, and character. And that, that, that combination was came together in, in perfect harmony. The, 
actors came together in perfect harmony. The, 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 the fact that uh, Alexis and Millie and myself and Janine were, were able to, uh, we didn't start out as family, but uh, the, the relationships got so tight that Dean actually wrote us as family. But originally we were disparate members of society. Um, so, you know, the, 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 the interpersonal relationships fell together and congealed. The, the film came together, the timing of the release of the film, which, uh, you know, I could tell you a story about The Beast of War, the movie I was just referencing, uh, where everything came together except the timing of the release of the film and change in studio heads and so on and so forth, you know, uh, uh, studio politics and all of that stuff. I mean, there are so many elements that have to come together for a movie to be a hit. Mm-hmm. And I'm talking about the smaller movies, right. you know, with the, with the big, huge, big blockbuster movies where they can just blanket the, uh, the country and, you know, with PR and advertising, that's pretty much a no-brainer. You know that it's going to get a strong opening weekend. And then after that, it's, it's a matter of did the whole movie hold together. Right. Um, but with, uh, coming back to Stargate... The, the stars did, in fact, align just perfectly. Um, you know, I mean, you're right. I, I think the movie could have and should have grossed more. Uh, it was certainly looked at as uh, one of these upstart movies. It was not a movie that, were, that you know, jumped everyone's career uh, right away. There was a, a certain amount of resentment to this film because it was essentially a a negative pickup. It wasn't a big studio movie, you know, uh, uh, and, it, and it was a, a, a surprise and, and a bit of a sleeper hit. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, on, on, on all those counts, it, it made that experience very, very special indeed. Now, to come back and recreate it would be almost impossible, but, but then what you do get on a series, which you don't get on a film, is a, a film is a short period of time, very, very intense, and then it's over. Right. And you go your separate ways. Whereas the series is slower moving. It's, uh, it's, you know, it's a period of several years, or in this case, a decade. Um, your relationships grow and deepen. Um, and so, you know, there, there are other aspects to a TV series that one can look forward to. And uh, that, that is essentially, you know, um, what I was uh, hoping to capture a bit of and, and be part of history in, in terms of... Because I, I, I had a very strong feeling about Stargate. I, I, I've always, I'd always felt, even while shooting it, that this was something very special. Well, you returned two more times in later seasons after that, uh, but many might not be aware that originally you had been approached to rejoin Alexis and to reprise the role for a final time in the season six finale. Uh, it was called Full Circle. Right, yeah. and uh, I, actually, I you know I didn't learn about that till uh, till much later. Um, but I was on another show at the time and uh, was unavailable for that, so the. Uh, I think my agents didn't even inform me about it. <laughs> the actor is the last to know. 
I'm sorry. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> it's been 15 years since the original film came out, and in that time, Stargate's become a hugely successful science fiction franchise. It's recognized worldwide. There's been a feature film, two direct-to-DVD features, over 300 hours of filmed episodes between two series, you know, since 1994. A new series has just come out, but hopefully will be as successful as those in the past. How does it feel to know that you were there from the beginning and helped to create that foundation? It feels great. It feels great. Uh, I've always, you know, I, I think it's always um, part of our reason for being is to leave a legacy, and, and I felt uh, like, uh, you know, I, I have, I've done that in, in a small way in my contribution to, to the film and to the, uh, the series. And uh, it, yeah, you know, uh, <laughs> it don't suck. <laughs> Have you uh, have you done any Stargate conventions? Yes, I have. Not a lot. Um, I did one um, shortly, a, a few days after nine eleven, and I was uh, that was GateCon in two thousand one in Vancouver, mm-hmm. and that was a very special one for me. It was the first one I'd I'd ever attended, and I wasn't sure what to expect. And this this terrible thing had happened. The country, the, the world was in shock. And yet people came from all over the world. Um, despite the fact that flights were, you know, chaotic and, and the whole world was in panic and turmoil. And uh, this convention went on as scheduled and it was incredibly moving. I was so touched and moved by the fans on that one that that uh, I uh, have come back to do, uh, I think, a total of about six in all. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, I, I was uh, scheduled to do more. I, I'm always reluctant to take them on, uh, especially the, the longer-term ones, because, uh, knock on wood, my, my, my work schedule has been fairly um, chock-a-block, and... Uh, that, unfortunately, at this this stage of my career, uh, does have to come first. Absolutely. Uh, I look forward to the time when I can, you know, um, travel the world and, and just go from convention to convention, because I, I do really enjoy meeting the fans, talking to them. Um, they're, you know, reminiscing. It's, it's uh, again, it don't suck. Exactly. Can you tell us about some of the encounters that you've had with Stargate fans? They can be either good or bad. I have yet to have a bad one. Um, a, a lot of them have been very, very moving personal experiences. Uh, I, I find uh, a lot of uh, Stargate fans are handicapped in in uh, in some ways, and um, in other ways, uh, incredibly inspiring. Uh, I've I've always enjoyed talking to them about their their lives and and their their triumphs, their failures, their stumbling blocks. Um, and I'm always so touched to see how much what we do as actors and storytellers affects their lives. And um, I'm always very, very conscious. It's, it's In fact, um, it's... It's gotten me into a lot of trouble in in the business because I, I see very clearly how we have 
a responsibility to our audience to tell the truth. And, um, for example, after 9-11, there there was a barrage of films that that were coming out, and, and I was getting offered significant amounts of money to to play roles that I was not comfortable playing and telling stories, being part of a story that I felt was damaging or hurtful to a group of people <clears throat> just because uh, of our political situation. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, uh, that Hollywood does not like to hear the word no. The first time they hear it, they think it's, it's a negotiating ploy. <clears throat> and um, when they reach for their checkbooks and you say no again, then it gets taken personally and, <laughs> and you start to tread on, on toes that you wish you'd never tread on. Right. But that is, you know, uh, at the end of the day, what we do, and, and uh, I take it very seriously. I, I, I've, I have seen how films affect people and the way they think and the way they act and the way they conduct their lives. And I, without getting too moralistic about it, I, I, I honestly feel that our industry actually shares a lot of the blame for much of the violence that we see in society today, the callousness, the rudeness, you know, uh, things that is, 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 to me is uh, a, a breakdown in society and and I feel it's it's because we as storytellers are not truly living up to our obligations uh, it's much easier to throw something up on the screen and and shock people with violence or sex or language or even sound you know mm-hmm. uh, rather than to tell an interesting story. And you can only shock so much before you start to become desensitized to that. That's, that's exactly right. And de- desensitized to the point where, you know, an a 11-year-old child thinks nothing of picking up a revolver and shooting their parents in the face. How did this happen? And I feel I, I, I have to, as part of this industry have to shoulder some of that responsibility. I've really brought you down, haven't I? Oh, no, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, coming, coming back to the, the, the politics of it, uh, it, it is something that I think has always been there, very strong, and a strong element in me that, that has drawn me towards it. Um, I, I see a lot of, and, you know, being a minority myself, um, I, I am very aware of racism. I, I've seen it, it, interestingly enough, on so many different sides of the spectrum. I, you know, I, when I lived in India, I was seen as one thing. When I came to, when I went to Britain, I was seen as another thing and treated in another light. When I came to America pre-9-11, I was treated in another light. And post-9-11 was a whole other situation. Mm -hmm. So I've seen, I've experienced 
for for lack of a better word, racism. But I, I think you know uh, we're all have racist tendencies. It's just part of the world we live in, and um, it, it, it's it's an understanding of that. Tying it into Stargate, this was something that Dean was very insistent on, was that the brown people had to liberate the planet. You know, and, and that was, uh, is again, very different. It wasn't the U.S. cavalry that came in. Right. You know, it was an awareness, a social change, and a, a realization, a, a rebellion, if you will, of the people, of the brown people, that brought about Ra's downfall and destruction. You know, uh, certainly aided and abetted by you know Kurt uh, and, and James and so on, but the the, the change came from within. The cavalry charge was in fact the brown people, and and th- this is kind of um, revolutionary. You know, it, it's as you pointed out, it's ahead of its time. You know, mm-hmm. um, even today you don't see it. Not a lot. Years later. So, you know, it, it, it's things like that that, you know, you were hearkening back to your earlier question, what drew me to the movie? There are so many elements that have, that have drawn me to Stargate. Well, outside of Stargate, uh, many know you from the NBC series Heroes, uh, where you played Chandra Suresh, the father of Mohinder. And you were kind of the catalyst for him struggling to discover how all the characters on the show there came to acquire the powers that they did. How did that come about? Was that a role you auditioned for, or did Tim Kring approach you specifically? No, uh, I was, again, I was in Vancouver when I got the call, and I flew, well, I was just finishing up a movie up in Vancouver, and so they pushed the date of the appointment. I went in, uh, it was a casting director I've known for many, actually, in fact, he gave me my very first, uh, union job in New York on stage, which got me my equity card, which in essence started my American career. So, uh, and uh, he, he called me into the office. We laid down one take in about 30 seconds, and I was out the door. And uh, I got the call saying, uh, we'd love to have you work with us and, and uh, shoot these episodes. And while we were trying to work that out, I, I had a, an offer to go out and do Charlie Wilson's War uh, with Mike Nichols and Tom Hanks, which I was very excited about, which I subs- subsequently got cut out of the movie on. But um, I, So then we had to juggle schedules on that, and uh, I, it was just fortuitous that we were able to, to work those two things out, and, and Tim was extremely gracious and you know in, in um, helping my agents sort of negotiate this or work out the details and allow me to do both both the gigs mm-hmm. we were shooting the sequence the the um, episodes out of sequence and in fact I had already been killed we had shot my death scene before they even had cast Silar so <laughs> It was, while we were <laughs> while I was being killed, we were like, "Now, do we have any idea about the size or the, 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 the even the color of this guy?" Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we're like, "Nope." <laughs> so, 
So we're going to try to keep it as vague as possible. So the episodes that you were in in the first season, they were all basically shot during the time period that you had and then Correct. mixed in, you know, to the... That's right. Of, okay. That's right. And so many productions do that nowadays, too. That's got to be hard as an actor sometimes to know your approach to the scene. Yes, and, and, and just to have a chronological sequence of, you know, what's happened, uh, so often you find yourself thinking you know something about the plot, but that doesn't occur to the next episode, you know, so it could really trip you up. <laughs> well, the character of, of Chandra Suresh did leave a lasting impression. Even last season, the character was referenced several times and was shown in an episode late last year, even though it was a younger version of you, obviously. That's right. Yep. Would but, you be interested in returning again if they asked you? I would love to, uh, yes. yes. In fact, um, uh, I was supposed to come back on... Uh, a spin-off series called Origins, but mm. uh, then the writer strike happened yeah, and canceled um, all that, and all of that, and uh, yes, yes. So uh, um, unfortunately, that project seems to have gone by the wayside. But mm -hmm. that sounded really interesting to me. The you know the origins and to really get into was that going back to the core of the the company and it, the Petrellis and exactly and exactly the yes and 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 the the heart of the situation you know. Mm -hmm. Um, that, that, that would be really a lot of fun. So, we don't know. We um, always live in hope. Exactly. <laughs> There's always other stories to be told. That's right. Yeah. That's right. What other upcoming projects can we look forward to seeing you in in the near future? Well, I, I have uh, several small, uh, smaller movies uh, that should be um, coming out um, early next year. Uh, one is uh, called Three Veils, and uh, I, I, I play. A, it, it's a slightly. It's a bit of a departure for me. I, I, I play a, a henpecked husband who who dotes on his on his daughter, who seems to be making a mistake in her marriage. Mm -hmm. It's a very touching little uh, little movie, and uh, I was I was very happy to do that. And, and there was another movie called it's uh, Hollywood Untitled at the moment, and and um, it was a movie. Interestingly enough, I, I turned down twice, <laughs> and uh, the director, uh, God bless her, she she was uh, very persistent, and and uh, actually sort of really solicited me to to write and develop the character in the way I thought. Uh, would not be, um, would not have the objections I had to the character going into it, and mm. so uh, you know I got to do a bit of that, and and that's an, a very interesting aspect of it. Now um, it's not just improv, but actually writing uh, and developing character. Um, it's it's something that I that I just love. Uh, a director I worked with uh, several years ago uh, referred to me as an archaeologist. Is you, you go in there and you sweep away the dust very gently until you find the bones of the character, and then you flesh that character out. And and, and I, I thought it was a, it was a marvelous description of my um, my approach to characters because I think uh, that 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 kind of does uh, does say it. If you could give one message to your fans, uh, be they Stargate fans or fans of your entire body of work, what would it be? Keep watching, man. <laughs> uh, uh, never, 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 never lose your imagination.
you know i i think that that is what what is uh, the the one unifying aspect to all uh sci-fi fans is um a heightened sense of imagination and um the the sense of anything's possible um i think that that's uh, that that is one of the things that makes America great certainly it's what drew me to America so it, it it's that that quality that uh, really draws me to the fans um and uh, and and I think you know they really keep us honest um and 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 I love that about uh, about our audiences I've always said you know um uh, I I look forward to doing theater in particular in uh, in in the great theater towns because it's the audience that's going to educate you and it's they are the ones that are going to make your performance better um and it's the same is true of sci-fi fans mm-hmm. i think they're they're while their imaginations are certainly more heightened i think than your average moviegoer or television watcher I think they 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 participate much more actively in the experience. So I guess my message is don't lose that. 